Thank you for listening to the Upper Podcast. This is Cody Spencer. We're so excited to let you listen to Pastor Josh Carter's message on All In from last year. If this message impacts you, we'd love for you to share this with your friends, get the word out, and check out theuproar.org for more information. Have a great time. This is called uproar. This is called uproar. The, the, the definition of uproar is a disturbance. And I believe that long before this place was ever a hockey arena, God designed this place to be a place where his name would be lifted up. Oh, hallelujah. I said that his name would be lifted up. So if I've got anybody in this room that knows how to give Jesus an uproar kind of praise, give it to him right now in this room. Let me do this before I preach. Just stay standing for me. Stay standing. Because I believe I'm in a room with some people that are rowdy tonight and want to have some church with me. Uh, let me just say this. I want to say, say that your praise is a product of your perspective. That you only praise God by how you see God. And if he was a God with other gods, then a with other gods praise would do. And if he was a God like other gods, then a like other gods praise would do. But how many know in this room, we don't serve a God like other gods, and we don't serve a God with other gods, but we serve the God that's above every other God. So why don't you take 30 seconds right now, and with your hands lifted and your voices raised, somebody give Jesus some praise right now. You got 30 seconds. You got 20 seconds. you know what real praise looks like yeah because what if your miracle was contingent on your next praise how would you praise God if you knew on this next praise that your body would be healed that your mind would be renewed that God would save your family look at your neighbor say neighbor I would praise God just like this now give God that kind of praise if you believe that miracle is on the way. Praise Him like you know you're here. Praise Him like you know that the miracle is on the way. Praise Him like you know your dad is going to say. Praise Him like you Shout of praise in this place. 
some word in this room tonight? Is there anybody hungry for a move of God in this room tonight? Ooh, I feel one of them Holy Ghost sweaty preachers coming on me. Can, can I just preach this thing tonight how I feel it? I'm telling you, I'm, I feel one of them old school spit on your preachers. And I know you're a little bit of ways away from it, but don't, don't, don't doubt the anointing. It can get to you. Amen. Amen. I want you to grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles and let me just say how honored I am to be back at Uproar. Look what the Lord has done. Come on, how many, how many believe, how many believe that one day you're going to see this whole thing filled up? How many believe that this region will know absolute revival because of moments like this? See, see, what you don't even understand you're doing right now is you are setting the tone for the next 10 years with this moment right here. And how you start it is how God's going to finish it. How many ready to get something from the Word of God tonight? I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 21, the book of John, chapter 21, and thank God for you. Just look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you look good tonight. You look good tonight. Yeah. Look, now look at your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor, I'm sorry I chose you second, but you look good too. And for all the people that I just got a date, you can thank me after service. Come on, somebody. But I feel like preaching tonight. John chapter 21, and while you're turning, let me also just say how thankful I am for the leadership of this conference. I'm thankful for Pastor Cody and his wife, this church. Thankful for the lead pastor, Pastor Mike. Come on, if you're thankful, you ought to make a little bit more noise than that for them. Come on, let them know. We are grateful. I honor you you thank you for having me and how about this worship team come on taking us right into the praise and the, taking us right into praise and worship in the throne room of God hallelujah John chapter 21 now I feel like preaching do I got anybody that's going to preach back at me a little bit tonight if you preach back at me we're going to have some church up in here John chapter 21 and uh, man let's go to work tonight I feel this thing John chapter 21 1 through 9 and this is what God's word says tonight it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I go fishing. And they said to him, we go with you also. And they went out, and immediately they got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have ye any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast now your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it. Watch this. And he plunged. Just touch the neighbor and say he plunged. he plunged. 
he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Last verse. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and a fish laid on it, and bread. God sent me here tonight with one assignment on this first night. He told me that it's time for you to go overboard. Just touch a neighbor say, neighbor, I don't know about you, but I'm going overboard. Just touch a neighbor one more time say, neighbor, I don't know how you were before you got here, but tonight God says that you got to go overboard. If you believe it, slip up your hands right now. Father, I thank you for the anointing I feel. God, I pray in this room, speak, God. Speak until pain turns to power. Speak, God, until tragedy turns to triumph. God, I pray in this room, be glorified, be lifted up. God, and Father, as we lift you up, draw all men to yourself. Father, we don't even have to see you do the miracle to praise you for it now. You're already worthy, and you're already great and greatly to be praised. And if you believe it in this room, somebody give God a shout of praise right now in this place. Thank you so much. If there's anything I believe tonight that you have to understand in this room, that whether you are 8 or 80 in your faith, whether you have been in church for a while or been in church for just a little bit, is that there is a foundational truth that you must come into an understanding before you can get a grasp of anything greater in the kingdom of God. The first thing you have to understand before going any deeper in your faith is that the God you serve is not a dead God. I wish I had some people that would preach back at me. I said, the God you serve is not a dead God. He is uh, a living God. See, they put all the other prophets in the grave, and the other prophets are still in the grave. They, they put Buddha in the grave, and Buddha is still in the grave. They, they put Confucius in the tomb, and Confucius is still in the tomb. They put Muhammad in the grave, and Muhammad is still in the grave. But they put your Jesus in the grave. And three days later, he got back up again because he's not a dead God. He is a living God. And if it's your God, you ought to make some noise for him right now. Do you not know in this room that you that every time you praise God, your praise is the proof that he lives? Let, let, me, let me just say that. I said, do you not know that every time you lift a hand and sing a lyric and shout and dance and jump, you are proving that your God indeed is not some dead God, some idol somewhere, but that he is indeed alive. That's why you can't come in this room and not lift a hand and not jump because somebody somewhere is waiting to see the proof that he lives. Touch your neighbor say, I'm the proof. Oh, touch your neighbor say, I'm the proof. I'm the proof. I'm the proof when my hands are lifted. I'm the proof when my legs are moving. I'm the proof when I'm singing this song. I am the proof. Touch your neighbor say, I'm the proof. He is not a dead God. He is a living God. And if he's not a dead God, then your church shouldn't be a dead church. I wish I had some real people. I said, if he's not a dead God, then your youth group shouldn't be a dead youth group. If he, oh, hallelujah. I said, if he's not a dead God, then your praise shouldn't be a dead praise. Your worship shouldn't be a dead worship. I wonder if I've got anybody in this room tonight that would say, I know I'm the proof, and if he's not dead, my actions will not be dead either. So if I've got any living proof to a living God, I dare you to give God some praise right 
Oh, somebody better prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. I hear you, Holy Ghost. Prove it with some worship in this room. He is a living God. And watch this. If he is a living God, then it must be true that he is a moving God. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, you will see that he has never stopped moving. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep and moved on the face of the deep. If he's water, he's living water. If he's wind, he's a mighty rushing wind. All the way to the book of Revelation where John says to close the book, even so come quickly. He is a living, breathing, moving God, which means this tonight, that the real tension of your faith will be to keep up with a God who's always on his way somewhere. God is looking for a generation of young people and a generation of young adults that are willing to keep up because let me tell you what real discipleship is. Real discipleship is not following Jesus because that's where discipleship starts. But real discipleship doesn't, uh, doesn't end with following. It ends with imitating. Are you hearing me in this room? I said real discipleship starts as following, but it ends as imitating. By the time you get done following Jesus, you ought to walk like Jesus. You ought to talk like Jesus. You ought to move like Jesus. You ought to have power like Jesus. Because he didn't come just so you could do the kind of works he did. He said when he left this earth, you ought to do greater works than he ever did. I wonder if I've got some Jesus imitators in this room. If you are, you ought to make some noise for him right now. He is a living, breathing, moving God. And the real tension of your faith is to keep up. Never let it be said of our generation that God wanted to do more and couldn't do more because we couldn't keep up. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I said, let it never be said that God wanted to do more in our generation but couldn't do more because we simply could not keep up. There's got to be some people that have some tenacity in this room to say, wherever you lead me, I will follow. Wait a second, my friends. This is the backdrop of our text. Because in our text tonight, there are 11 men who have moved with the moving God. They have walked with him. They saw him as blinded eyes were opened. They were there when the deaf heard. They were there when the dead got up and were raised to life. They were there. They were there. But the text says, watch this, that in the middle of them moving with the moving of God, he shifts, and when he shifts, they miss him. See, y'all were shouting just a minute ago. But as the text says that once he turned and went a different direction, because the text says, and in this way he showed himself. The text says that he shifted, and when he shifted and they lacked discernment, they missed him. Let me put that in your world. You can have an encounter of God last year at Uproar, but if you don't know how to move with him, you can miss him this year. If you don't have discernment in this room, God could try to take you somewhere that your discernment can't take you with him. But there's got to be somebody in this room that makes up your mind. I will not be distracted. I will not be taken away. My eyes will be fixed on Jesus. And wherever he leads me, I will follow, even if it costs me friendships, even if it costs me other things. I want Jesus, and Jesus is all that matters. The text says that they shifted, that he shifted, and when he shifted, they missed him. What a dangerous place to be, to know him in one season 
and not know where he is in the next. What a dangerous place to be is to know his glory in a former season and not know his glory in the next. It is a dangerous place to be, my friends. See, I believe God's biggest problem with the church these days is that all of our expectation is in a former presentation of God. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I said one of God's problems with the church today is that all of our expectation is on a former presentation of God. That if God doesn't do it like he used to do it, if God doesn't do it like he did it for our granddaddies and our daddies, then he must not be moved. But that devil is a lie because the only reason he did it for your granddaddy and your daddy is because he had something fresh for your generation. And if you believe it and want the next move of God, you ought to make some noise to let heaven know we are ready for next. We're up and we're ready for next. We're ready for signs, wonders, and miracles. We're ready for revival in our cities. We're ready for a move of God that our region has never seen. If you're ready, make some noise for Jesus right now. And when all of your expectation is on a form of presentation, you always run the risk of missing the next manifestation. When all of your expectation is on a former presentation, you always run the risk of missing the next manifestation. And in our text, they have been looking over their shoulder, and when he shifted, they missed him. And now confusion has hit these men. Now they don't know where he is. See, I'm talking to some people right now. Because have you ever been in a season where you knew him, and in one season every altar call you felt him? And in one season, every worship song, you knew he was there. But have you ever come out of those seasons and hit another season where you said, where are you? See how quiet it just got? Have you ever come out and said, in that season, I knew how to dance, shout, I ran, I knew what was going on, I felt you, I was led by you. But all of a sudden, when he shifts and you miss, now you're in confusion. And when you're in confusion, you don't know who to date. And you don't know what job to take, and you don't know where to go, and all of a sudden you just out there doing life and living life and wondering where the next thing in your purpose is going to come from. But the devil is a liar tonight because there's got to be somebody in this room that says, I will not miss what you have for me. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what it takes. Give me Jesus in this room. The text says that they miss him. And now they are in confusion. And right in the middle of all the confusion, the Bible says that one of those disciples, am I helping anybody tonight? One of those disciples steps up out of the crowd. And when he steps up out of the crowd, the Bible says that Peter says, I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. And I don't know where I'm at. Peter says, I go fishing. And on the surface, it sounds right. On the surface, it sounds like the right thing to do. On the surface, it sounds like it's not that bad of a thing. But do you realize that to make that one statement, he indicted his own heart on two different dimensions? Because to say I go fishing was to say I'm going back to a place that I have already come from. Can I tell somebody in this room, you ain't got time to go back to where you came from. 
Oh, hallelujah. I said, you ain't got time. Some of you have beaten some addictions. You have beaten some tragedies. You have overcome some pain. And you don't got time to go back to former places of bitterness and anger. And I know you're not where you want to be. But every once in a while, you got to look over your shoulder and say, I'm not where I want to be. But I am further than where I used to be. And for that, I'll give God some praise. Why don't you do it right now in this room? No, no, no. Somebody praise God. I know you're not in your future yet. I know you're not in your purpose yet. But if you look back at where you were compared to where you are now, you are making progress in the kingdom of God. Do you not realize that that is the praise that the enemy hates the most? It's the praise that is in between the promise and the promise fulfilled. That's the one that makes hell angry. When you can still stand and not see your destination, but you're too far away from your history, and yet you still got your hands lifted and your voice is raised, and you're saying, I don't know where this thing's going to take me, but nevertheless, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The text says, Peter says, I go fishing. I'm going back to a place I have come from. And most preachers leave it right there. Most preachers leave the revelation right there because he was a fisherman. But let me tell you, there's a second level to this thing. Because not only was Peter saying he was going back to a place where he came from, he was also saying, I'm going back to a place of comfort. Because if we don't go back to places we've come from, the next danger is we will go back to places of comfort. And there is nothing more dangerous than being in a comfortable place when you have great purpose in your life. Let me put this in your world. Because there is no such thing as being called and comfortable. I wish I had somebody that would preach back at me. I said, there is no such thing as being called by God and living inside of your comfort zone. Because when God really calls you, he will set your destiny outside of your comfort. Why? To make you walk on water. To make you press through a crowd. To make you stretch a withered hand. When God wants destiny, it will always make you move out of what you know. If I've got any destiny's children in this room, somebody make some noise if you've got destiny. Just touch your neighbor and say, I'm destiny's child. I'm destiny's child. I'm destiny's child. Yeah, 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 I am destiny's child. The Bible says that Peter is going back to call, to, to a call of comfort. Hear me. Hear me in this room. I want you to understand something. It will never be about your comfort. If you're going to do something great for God, it will never be about your comfort. Why? Because as long as it's about your comfort, there will never be a need for a comforter. I said as long as it's about your comfort, there will never be a need for a comforter. The reason why some of y'all ain't seeing the Holy Ghost do what the Holy Ghost wants to do is because you haven't stepped outside of your comfort zone yet. See, sometimes if you want a real breakthrough and a real healing and you want to see God move on your behalf, all you got to do is say, I know it don't feel good. I know it may not look good, but I ain't here for you. I'm here all. I'm here to see him move for me. So watch out, world. Watch out, road. Watch out, arena. 
I'm stepping out of my comfort. And the moment you step out of your comfort, you give the comforter room to move in your life. That should dictate your praise right there. Is that I will not be set inside of comfort when I know the comforter has my destiny in mind. And the text says that Peter says, Peter says, I go fishing. I'm going back to a place of, uh, that I've come from. I'm going back to a place of comfort. And you know what? Can I just be honest real quick? I just, let me just be really real. I really wasn't mad at Peter going back. Because at least Peter was a fisherman. My real problem in the text are these other dudes, these other jokers, these other weirdos that say, we go too. Let me just say this real quick. Let me just say this real quick. Let me, there's, there is nothing worse than going fishing with somebody that don't know how to fish. I wish I had some real people in here. I mean, have you ever taken somebody out to fish and you're taking them out to fish and when you did, uh, they didn't know how to like, you know, you found out they were, th they were afraid of things like just like worms. Yeah. They didn't know how to bait the hook. They throw it catching boots and tires and stuff. And yeah. You just look at them like, I shouldn't have brought you. That, that was a mistake. See, the real problem I have with these other guys is when Peter said he was going back, the text said that guys that weren't even fishermen said, we go too. I don't, I'm not mad at Peter because at least Peter went back based on firsthand decision and relationship. I'm mad at the other guys who went back based on secondhand relationship. You, you know, you know the people in this room that only praise God when he praises God. That there are some people in this room that only dance and shout and go to the altar when she goes to the altar. The people in this room that really don't have their own relationship with Jesus, they, they, got, they got a relationship, but it's secondhand relationship. But I hear the Holy Ghost in my ear telling me that you got to get your own relationship with Jesus. That if you want your destiny, you're going to have to have your own relationship. Your mama's faith was great, and your daddy's faith is awesome. But if you want your destiny, you're going to have to get your own walk with Jesus. Hear me. Hear me in this room. There's got to be a moment where you break away from secondhand relationship and get your own. Why? Because hear me in this room. You will never get to your destiny following somebody else to theirs. You will never get your future following somebody else to their future. And the text says that before they know it, the text says that these men who have separated themselves, have separated themselves, all of a sudden find something on the shore that is weird in this text. Can, can I just do this? Thank you so much. Can, can, I just, can I just do this for a second? I feel, I feel an anointing on me tonight to do something a little different. Can, can I just do, the text says something funny. The text says that immediately they got into a ship. It's weird in the text because if you know your Bible, you know that they had forsaken their boats. No, they didn't forget them, they forsook them. It's a weird thing in the text because here's the problem is that you have to know then that, th that, that, that there shouldn't have even been a ship. But what is it about the devil that when he sees you going backwards, he always provides a vehicle to take you further than what you really want to go? You, you know the ships in this room. You, you know the ships. That you know, you know the, 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 the relationships. How, how the moment you started to turn your shoulder and go back and all of a sudden the person you ain't dated in years is back in your DMs. Yeah. 
You, you know the ships. You, you know how you said that the only person you was going to date was Jesus. And then all of a sudden you started going backwards. And people that ain't never talked to you or ever wanted to talk to you are trying to get your number. You know the ships. You, 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 know, you know the ships. You, you know the friendships. See how quiet it just got? You, you know the friendships. You, you know the people that the only reason and the only way you ever do that and you only talk like that and act like that is when you hang with them. You, you know the ships. Let me do one more. Let me get down in your world a little bit. You know the ships. You know the fellowships. Because not everything that the devil has for you is tied up in a person. I know this is old school preaching right here, but it's still right. Hear me for a second. That's why we tell, when we tell you that you ought to watch what you listen to and you ought to watch what you watch and you ought to be careful about where you go, we're not telling you that to be mean and to punish you. When we tell you that, what we're trying to tell you is, is that atmospheres create environments. And when you listen to the wrong thing and watch the wrong thing, you can let something into the atmosphere of your life that will produce an environment that you don't want to live in. Because there's somebody in this room that said, I don't know why I'm depressed. I don't know why I don't feel. I don't know why I've got this emotion. I don't know why I'm angry. I don't know why I'm bitter. But you were back there six months ago, and the devil knew that I didn't have to send a boy. I didn't have to send a girl. I didn't have to send a job. All I had to do was slip a lyric in. And through one lyric, and through one lyric up under a beat somewhere, now you're living in something you listened to six months ago. know the ships and before they know it men who have made a decision to go back to where they've come from and back to places of comfort all of a sudden they are in a ship and before they know it it is dark isn't it amazing how when they were walking with Jesus they knew light because we walk in the light as he is in the light but isn't it amazing how sometimes when you cut yourself away from the Christ and all of a sudden what was light turns to night? Isn't it amazing how dark and how quickly it can get dark in your life when you don't really know Christ or when Christ is not full, fully in your life? Isn't it amazing how the lights can go off so quickly and before they knew it, in one season they knew his glory and now in this season they know nothing of it. In this season, they are on a boat, and they are working, and they are waiting, and they are not productive, and they're getting frustrated, and they're getting angry. I'm talking to somebody right now. They're in a season where they don't feel anymore. They're in a season where there's no direction, and there's no vision, and there's no understanding. I'm talking to somebody's life right here, right now, to tell somebody, I know what it's like to be in a dark night. And there they are with no vision, nothing around them. And they are casting a net. And they are working and seeing nothing in return. All night, long night of doing something in their own strength and seeing no result. I want to talk to somebody real quick who's in the middle of a dark night. I want to talk to somebody who came to conference. And you came to conference and everything around you used to be good and you used to be on fire, but somewhere along the way, you caught yourself in the middle of a dark night season. All night, long night. I'm talking to some young lady that's in pain right now. You're crying yourself to sleep. I'm talking to a young man who doesn't know what to feel anymore because of the tragedies that have hit him all night, 
long night. And if we would have left it right there, I really wouldn't have had anything to preach to you tonight. But how many are grateful that the text doesn't stop there? That the text didn't stop with a dark, long night of no vision and no direction and bad decisions. I'm so glad that right behind the mistake came the hope. Because the Bible says that despite the long, dark night, despite the pain and the tragedy and the bad decision and all the pain, the Bible says, but in the morning. Oh, I wish I had somebody that would preach back at me for a second. I said the text says, but in the morning. Because how many know sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in. The morning. I want somebody to know you've been in a dark season long enough and people left you and people walked away from you. But let me tell you, God sent me into this room to let you know that the night season is over in your life. He's about to give you a breakthrough with his light and with his word. And the text says, but in the morning, watch it, Jesus, in the morning, Jesus. On the shore, Jesus. Not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your family, not the people you thought you could count on. The text says that when everybody else walked away, the only person that stayed through it all, y'all ain't saying nothing. I feel like preaching now. I said the only person that stuck it out when everybody left you high and dry, the one who was the one standing on the shore was not a man, but the son of man. It was Jesus. I wonder if I've got some people that are thankful that when people leave you, he will never leave me or forsake me. You ought to give Jesus some praise for having your back. The power of this text is that he has your back when nobody else does power of this text is to know that no matter what you do, it won't deter him from getting you to your destiny. Because the, the fact that he was there in the morning tells me that maybe he was there all night long. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that even though I walked away from Jesus at some times in my life, that Jesus didn't walk away from me. Oh, I wish I had some people that would give God some praise for the fact that he should have turned his back, that you weren't worth staying for, that you did some things that were against him. But nevertheless, he stuck it out because of what he saw in your life. Somebody give him praise for his grace right now. Where would you be? What kind of mess would you still be in? What kind of trouble would you still be in? You'd still be addicted. You'd still have pain. But nevertheless, Jesus came to your rescue and he pulled you out. See, see, I always know when I'm in a room full of religious folks and I know when I'm in a room full of second chance people because religious people don't take their second chance that serious but there are some real second chance grace folks in this room that know you should be dead, that you should be locked up, that you should be in a mental institution somewhere, you know that your life should be flipped upside down and messed up but nevertheless when it looked like it couldn't get any worse, he came right to where you were and he pulled you out of your mess and now you have a second chance. 
And if you got a second chance, uh, second chance people praise different. Uh, second chance people give God glory in a different way. They don't care if their shirt tail comes untucked. Uh, they don't care if their mascara smears. All they know is they shouldn't be here right now. But Jesus. In fact, why don't you take 30 seconds right now if you're thankful for a second chance and give God some praise for your second chance. I wish I had somebody that would make hell mad tonight. I wish I had somebody that would let the devil know you should have killed me while you had a chance. But now that I got a second chance, I'll give him all the glory he was We're about to give hell a headache. I feel like every devil that's been chasing you is about to be put on the run because there's some second chance people that were counted out and left for dead, but God saw what he put in you, and because he knew what he put in you, that's the reason why you praise him like you do. Why don't you take 30 seconds and give God a praise that makes the devil... anointing that just showed up in this room because there are some people that are about to make the devil pay I said somebody in this room is about to make the devil pay because he tried to kill you but no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper well if you're going to praise him take 10 more seconds and do it right now and let God know Now look at your neighbor real quick, because I feel the Holy Ghost about to take this whole room over. Touch your neighbor, say, neighbor, Pastor Josh is going to finish this message. But before he finishes it, I'm going to take one more praise break. The first one was to thank God for my second chance. But this one is to thank him for my future. So you got 30 seconds to thank God for what he's about to do in your life. Are you ready? One, two, 
if you've got a future, if you've got a plan and a purpose, why don't you take 30 seconds and praise God right your neighbor say neighbor I got a future because he gave me a second chance now let now be seated for a second let me finish this how many feel the Holy Ghost up in this room right now watch this let me finish this thing let me finish this thing right here I feel the anointing of God watch this the text says that there he comes to them and he comes to them in a moment where they don't deserve it. You know what we call that? That's called grace. I'm thankful for the grace of God. But I want you to see something in the text. That he all of a sudden, through the dew of a new morning and new opportunity and a new chance, speaks. And I was waiting on him to say something profound and prolific. I was waiting on Jesus to say something I could tweet. Come on, somebody. And when I read the text, the text said something odd because the text says through the dew of a new morning, he shouts to them. Let me just say this. Jesus is nicer than me. Amen. Because I don't know if I'd have been as nice as Jesus was. I'd have said things like, hey, dummies, morons. But watch Jesus. Through the dew of a new morning, he whispers and he says, Children, I could preach right there. Because he did not call them according to their condition. He called them according to their position. Because that's the Jesus I really know. That he doesn't call me according to what I did or what somebody did to me. He calls me according to my position in him. I am not what I went through. I am not my pain. I am not my struggle. I am not my anger. I am not my bitterness. I am a child of the living God. And if I've got any children of God in this room who knows you are not what you went through, you ought to give God some praise right now. He says, children, watch him, have ye any food? What? You mean of all the things you could have said and should have said, you wanted to know if I had any food? It was only 
after a few days of study and prayer that I realized that he's actually asking the question that nobody wants to answer. Because we want to tell everybody how long we've been in the boat. We want to tell everybody how, how much of a struggle we've had in the boat. We want to tell everybody how long we've been a victim. But he cuts right through every issue and says, have ye any food? Watch him. Because really what he's asking is, he's really doing a comparison. Because really what he's saying is, can you prove to me that that life was greater than the one I wanted to give you? Can you prove to me that what's in your boat is better than what I wanted to give you here on this shore? Because Jesus didn't come to give you some life. He came to give you life and life more abundantly. Children, I know you've been dating them, but for as long as you've been dating them, is there any fruit? I know you've been on that job, but for all the time it's taken you away from church, is there any fruit? I know you've been hanging with them and they've been taking, but is there any fruit? Can you prove to me that that life was greater than the one I wanted to give you? And the text says that he speaks and says, children, do you have any food? I'm done right here. And in the middle of saying it, thank God for the honesty of these boys who had the audacity in the middle of a bad decision and in a bad place in life to say one word with two letters. They said, no. Really the power of that moment is, is they finally got honest about their real condition. Because you will never find deliverance without honesty. Let me show you what I mean real soft for a second, fellas, real soft. Everybody's got a cell phone these days. And on most of our cell phones, we got GPS. Amen. We, we, we GPS everything in our generation. Can I tell you this? My GPS is eager to give me instruction and direction, but it only requires one thing of me in return, that I must give it a point of origin. I must give it a starting place. Is it possible tonight that the reason why you're not getting the help that you really need and the deliverance that you really want is because along the way, along the way, you were never honest about where you really were? Can I tell you, God is not intimidated by your issue or your problem or your struggle. He is anxious to get you out tonight. But if there's one thing you need for him to release his majesty is for you to see his majesty, there he must have your honesty. And the moment they got honest, a miracle began. Throw your nets, he said, on the right side of the boat. And when he threw it on the right side, with one word from God, in the middle of a dark place, one word from God got him something he could never get on his own. Can I tell you tonight, you don't need somebody else's opinion. You don't need somebody else's Facebook status. 
You don't need somebody else's Twitter followers. What you really need to get out of where you are is a little bit of desperation and a word from God. Because one word from God will take you from no man's land to the promised land with one word. I'm done here. And the text says that they hauled in a multitude of fish. And as they hauled it in, you would think that if you got something you couldn't get before on your own and just somebody said, you would think Peter should have, should have known who it was. But the text said that he didn't know. The text said he didn't know until a shadowy figure emerges in our text who comes from the background to the forefront. He is the writer of the book that I'm reading out of. The Bible says John the Beloved steps out and says, wait a second, Peter. Wait a second, Peter. I know that voice. You, you know John. John's the one that while they're talking about who's going to sit at the left hand and the right hand. John says, fellas, you can have the seat. I want his feet. You know John. You know John because while they're talking about what's in his head, John says, you can have what's in his head. I just want to lay my head on his heart. You know John. You know John in this room because if you really want to know who John is, John is a worshiper. You know John in this room because John's the kind of person that doesn't need music or a band to have a church service. You know John in your youth group because long before they ever start the countdown, John is down at the altar with his hands up. She's down in the front walking and pacing and praising God. Because let me tell you, if you're struggling to find Jesus in a dark night, get next to a worshiper because worshipers are acquainted with the presence of the Lord. And if we're going to lead a dark world to the light of Christ, there must be worshipers that arise. And to every John in this room, I say, let John run again. Let John dance again. Let John shout again. It is the worshiper that lets Peter know. Wait a second, Peter. That's not the citizen. That's a savior. Wait a second, Peter. I know that voice. Peter, it is the Lord. And when he said that in the text, hear me, I realized that the real fight of the text had just begun. Because now Peter's in a conflict. Do I stay with the stuff or do I go to the Savior? Do I hang with the blessing or do I go to the blesser? Do I hang with the benefits or am I after the benefactor? Do I want provision or am I after the provider? Do I want what he can do or am I after who he is? And there is always a moment in your walk with God where you have to make, watch this, you have to make more than a decision. You have to make a commitment because the text says as much as he is torn he grabs his coat and he looks at everybody else in the boat let me put that in your world he looks at everybody else in the youth group everybody else in the church and says I don't know about you 
But I can't go another day without Jesus. I can't go another moment without his presence in my life. I can't go another second without his glory. And I'm thankful for the stuff. The stuff is good, but the stuff, there's no comparison to the one who gave it to me. I need Jesus. Fellas, you can say whatever you want to say about me, but I'm about to go overboard. I'm about to go overboard in my faith, overboard in my, oh, hallelujah, and what I'm believing for, overboard in my prayer life, overboard in my worship life. I'm about to go overboard in what I believe. I'm about to go overboard in my commitment. My decision got me here, but my commitment will get me out. I'm about to go overboard. And the text says that Peter plunged into the sea. He left the boat and the stuff in it for the Savior that was calling him to something greater. And the text says he's swimming. Can you hear him? Fellas, you can have the whole world. But give me Jesus. Give me Jesus in the noontime. Give me Jesus in the evening hour. Give me Jesus at midnight. Give me Jesus. I'm wounded, Lord, but I'm on my way. I'm not perfect, but I'm in pursuit. Give me Jesus. Let me finish this right here because I feel the anointing of God. I was watching a doctor's show. And on this doctor's show, this lady was a frantic mess because every night she was putting her child to bed and she would get a few steps down the way and her child would fall out the bed and hit the floor. And she thought there must be something wrong. And the doctors looked at her and started laughing and I thought, rude. That's rude. They said, ma'am, we're not laughing at you. We're, we're laughing because we reviewed the videotape and we have already figured out why your child keeps falling out of bed. He's not sick. He doesn't have an issue. He doesn't really have a problem. Upon reviewing the video, we realize that the reason he keeps falling out of the bed is because when you tuck him in, you're not putting him far enough in. And when I heard that, the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart. And he said, Josh, tell a generation that maybe the reason they keep falling out of love with me is because maybe they never went far enough in love with me. That maybe the reason why you're in one day and out the next committed one day and not committed the next, in church one week and out of church the next, is because somewhere along the line you had made a decision, but you never let your decision leap into a lifelong commitment. The text says that Peter said, no longer will I live this life based on decision. 
I am going overboard into a lifelong commitment to Jesus. And I don't care what people think about me or what they say. Because they don't have my future. And he does. Stand to your feet all across this room. On this first night of uproar, I ask God what to give you. I asked God what to preach. And he took me back to this passage of scripture. And he said, Josh, please tell a generation that I am eager for them to go overboard. I am eager for them to commit their life. No, no, not make a decision and just say a prayer, but for them to commit wholeheartedly to me, for them to leave the comfort of the boat, for them to leave the comfort of what they're in, for them to leave their pain and to come follow me like they have never followed me before. Uh, he said, I'm asking them to come overboard. And with every head bowed and every eye closed in this arena, God sent me here tonight for some people who have been living on a dark place with no vision. People that are living in the boat of frustration and anger, bitterness, discontent. And you see, I know there's got to be a better life. I know there's got to be something bigger than where I'm living right now and better than what I'm living in. Tonight you know in your heart as I was preaching that yes, God has given you a second chance. But you know now that he's calling you into something deeper and something greater. And with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, this is how simple the moment is. If you say, Pastor Josh, I know that I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I know I've done some things that have taken me away from his voice and away from his presence. But tonight, I'm making more than a decision. I'm making a commitment to go overboard for Christ. He can have my heart. He can have my mind. And he can have my life. For the rest of my life, he can have it all. I'm going overboard. Then on the count of three, if you say I'm going overboard, I want you to get out of your seat and come to this altar. I feel the anointing of God in this room. I feel like there are some people that are about to leap headlong into your destiny. You're about to jump. People are already coming on the count of three. One, hallelujah. Two, three. I'm going overboard. Get out of your seat and meet me at this altar. I'm going overboard. I'm going overboard. I'm going overboard. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. I'm going overboard. Overboard. Father's arms are open wide. Come on, if you're going overboard, get out of your seat. Sport with the precious blood of Jesus Christ will come to the altar. Come on, if you're going overboard, Father's arms are open wide. If you're leaving what you've always known, sport with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But there's somebody dealing with suicidal thoughts in this room. You came to conference in torment and in agony in your spirit. God says he's got everything you need. That your destiny is already prepared. 
He said, he's just waiting for you to leave the comfort of the boat and go overboard. On the count of three, I don't know who, I'm still waiting on some people. I feel it in my spirit. I don't feel released. I'm going, if you're going overboard tonight for Jesus, you're dedicating and committing your life. Get to this altar. I want to give you 30 more seconds to get to this altar. I feel the anointing of God. Come, 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 come. Come join these that have come. Come join them. Come join them. Come on, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. And if you're at this altar, slip up your hands to heaven. Come on, and we sing. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is poured with Come on, ten more precious blood of Jesus Christ. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is poured with altar to look up here at me real quick. I want you to understand something tonight. That you have just made the greatest decision you could ever make in your life to commit your entire life for the calls and the call of Jesus. You know, I just want to say this because it's, it's just in my spirit right now. You know, back in the day, you would hear messages about the rapture and the coming of Christ. And I would hear them say things like this. They would say things like, he's coming like a thief in the night. And I thought to myself, how's he going to come like a thief if everybody's watching? But little did I know that decades, that's nearly two decades ago, that there would be a new generation that would emerge and that we would be barely seeing and watching for the return of Christ. That's right. My friend, you don't have time to waste. You don't have time to get caught up and distracted. Because you are not next. You are right now.
What a challenging and encouraging message for us to go all in. We love Pastor Josh Carter, and we're excited to have him back again this year for Uproar 2018. You can check out more information at theuproar.org or go to our YouTube channel to find more messages from the past. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening, and we're excited to release more content soon.